Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. It is easy to turn a blind eye when it does not directly affect you. For years, people have been going missing in patterns of three in the nation of Palinel. They are never found, never sighted, never talked about again. In a world built upon tenuous peace, you learn to keep your head down lest you become the reason for disruption. Finally, a prominent Duke's daughter goes missing. A beautiful young elven woman, full of promise, set to take over her father's estate once he retires. This is where the story begins. Follow our heroes Go, Belrash, and Annalise as they set out to uncover the secrets of Palinel, the Feywild, and maybe even discover what happened to the Before City, the ruins of which the capital city of Amorsha is built upon. A thrilling tale of mystery and magic. Join us every other Friday for a tale of feats and fates. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So we are smack dab in the middle of our April Critical Role extravaganza, and we come to you today with another awesome episode. But before we get in there, Liwanika, Glenn, good evening. How are you folks doing down in uh, down in the sunshiny state of Connecticut? That's not very sunshiny, but that's... You know. It was a nice day. The drive this morning to work was great, and the drive home was, was also pretty decent. But it was completely dark when I got home, so. Yeah. As it is up here in Maine. Well, yeah. That's because you work late. Stop that. Yes. Get a day job. A fair point. I, I, I would love to. I know, I know you would. No, things are pretty good down here, man. It wasn't a bad day today. Never got crazy. Working on uh, our book project mm. and just All of a sudden, we're down to our top 20 items to, to tick off before we can actually hit the big red button to go ahead and launch the book. We're very excited about this. So, because this has been uh, a labor being the keyword of, uh, it's been a labor of love for several months now, but almost done. Very close. The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse is almost done. Can't wait. But we will get into that all sorts of stuff later tonight. Let us introduce you to our very special guest. So coming to us from Seattle, we have Hannah Rose with us in studio. Hannah, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Hi, guys. Hello. How are you this fine evening? I am good. It is still light outside. Incredible. And it was actually, okay, Glenn didn't believe me, but it was a beautiful sunny day in Seattle. <laughs> Fabulous. So, so for- <laughs> for, for, I, that's are, what I said. That happens in Seattle. That's exactly what I said. So, if there are somehow people out there in the world of, of fans of Dungeons and Dragons and specifically fans of Critical Role who don't recognize your name, try to give us a short bio so that people people know why you're here tonight. Yeah, you don't, I, you don't have to be modest. It doesn't have to be short. Go nuts. <laughs> well, the question is how rambling it will be, and that has yeah, nothing fair. to do with the legs. But. I am a D&D designer, editor, erstwhile software developer, and uh, player and DM, 
And I've worked on a number of critical role products and official Dungeons and Dragons books and some other independent stuff on the DMs Guild or with various fun collaborators. So recently, we've got uh, Teldori Reborn, which came out in January, and I was one of the lead designers on that book, as well as a managing editor and art director and producer, Many Hats. Uh, which I'm sure you guys know all about. Yes, we do. (laughs) And I also worked on Call of the Netherdeep, the adventure that just came out in collaboration with Wizards of the Coast. Awesome. Uh, And I am running that for my group, and it's loads of fun. Oh, awesome. So I didn't even know. So you're running Call of the Netherdeep right now? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a great time. So I have no doubt about that. No doubt. Yeah, so let's start talking about the Call of the Netherdeep stuff. So our episode on Call of the Netherdeep is coming out next week, and where we're going to talk more about the content of the book. But in what I have, in what I've read so far, and what I've poured apart, I really love the way that the man, some of the new rule systems that are coming out, and the way that the adventure is structured is really fantastic. And there is a question in here, I promise. So I guess my question for you, just to top off the uh, kind of top off the, the off the top of my head here. I wanted to go ahead and get into what are some of the pieces of Call of the Netherdeep that that you were involved in, uh, specifically in bringing in there, and that's asking what your favorite child is, I'm sure, but what's your favorite of the new kind of structural mechanical things that are in there that really, really caught your attention? Ooh, I have to pick favorites. I have to pick favorites. This is hard. Okay, a couple things I love. One is, of course, the rival adventurers who, of I knew this going into running it, but for my group are definitely more friends than rivals. But (laughs) the Rival Adventurers is just such a fun, I don't know the concept, fun creation, part of the story that can serve so many purposes and be something unique to so many groups. And I think, okay, if you follow me on Twitter, I talked about this, so apologies if this is a repeat. But (laughs) I think that one of the most amazing things about Call of the Netherdeep and something I hope to see in future products, be they D&D, RPG, video games, is how it doesn't just allow for each group to have a unique experience playing. It thrives on that. It is built on that. And it flows around that in a way that, yes, you're going to play out this story, but your unique experience is it just going to inform the direction the story goes in. It's going to inform how it feels in ways that are really important. And that's something that's often implicit, but not a design principle. And in Call of the Netherdeep, it's absolutely one of the core design principles. You follow the adventure path or path, because sometimes it is branching, and Yet the story is completed by your group, by the characters and their backstories, feelings, emotions, in a way that doesn't, I think for me as a DM, is wonderfully empowering, but not, doesn't leave me feeling adrift. Yeah. Two quick things that I'll say on that point, because for one, I totally agree with you that the rival adventurer, uh, setup is is fantastic. The way that they play against each other like that. Right. We saw now, kind of shades of that. down to design. It, yeah, they, exactly. They interact and yeah. Because we saw shades of it in like Wild Beyond the Witchlight and we saw shades of it in Strixhaven, but I don't think that it was quite as fully formed as it is in this book. And so that was really nice. But just the way that even for a fully formed adventure path, choices that the players make along the line can really alter in a really tangible way how the adventure path winds up. And I think that was really that that's really great yeah. and very much exemplified here. Yeah. It's nice also for me as a DM. Many of my players actually worked on the book and know the adventure, so I'm mixing <laughs> things up for several reasons sometimes. But it's nice for DMs that the adventure very naturally flows to the same places, no matter what the players do, yet the players' choices still have consequences and impacts. But it's not like they are 
likely to completely deviate from the adventure path and never have a way to get back to it. They still have agency, but it's not going to irreparably change the adventure path in a way that it can't be completed successfully or anything like that. Sure. Unless you want it to, of course. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sure. The other thing that I I would say about that is that the whole thing with the rivals is that, so we do a whole series of shows called Class Warfare episodes, where basically Mm -hmm. we roll up tunes and we throw them against bad guys and we see who wins at the end of the day. It's uh, like non-storyteller. Yeah, it is fantastic. They're a lot of fun. And we did our call of the Netherdeep uh, Class Warfare like a week ago. And the tunes, uh, the, the bad guys that we randomly rolled up were two of the rival adventurers. It was Ayojabe and oh, Wastewalker. Yeah, the Wastewalker. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Wastewalker. Yep. Um, and we had an occult silver tongue thrown in the mix mm-hmm. too. This is yeah, all randomly yeah. generated okay. off of the yeah. creature tables just by die rolls uh, to figure mm-hmm. out who we were and, facing. And, and boy, uh, they can did, I say, yeah. they did very well. I actually ran Irvin, and I can tell you that I'm glad I had that experience because at some point, if and when I run Call of the Netherdeep, that will be instrumental in figuring out how he's going to operate in the game. I really enjoyed the character. And it was beautiful because I had read chapter one before we did that episode. Mm -hmm. And I loved reading about the rivals leading into it. I I loved reading about the various challenges. I think chapter one has very few spoilers in it, and I'm not going to give away anything. Yeah, But I just love that almost meeting sextant to do a Dragonlance throwback feel to chapter one. Everybody has a moment to shine doing very different things. It very much gives you a way to bring these in. And I like that there's, you don't meet the rivals as a group. You meet them as here's a couple of them. Here's one of them. Here's a couple of them. And they all have these neat little story hooks to get you in. And just reading it, I was all in for the adventure. And I actually had commented, I almost didn't want to do the episode because I just want to play this game. Like that. And and I don't know how to give praise because I'm not typically a person who likes playing prescribed adventure. Me too. That's not my thing. But I can honestly tell you, this is exactly how you hook this role player. Very well done. So kudos to you and the rest of the team that worked on the book as a whole. But certainly chapter one was the perfect way to jump into an advent- adventure that I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, the writers really crafted all of that. I gave some input and did a good bit of editing, but when I read it, the you know the the text, full text for the first time. Like I said, I don't love running pre-published adventures either. That's just not how I started out playing D, and it fe- can feel like there's a lot of pressure to know the adventure really thoroughly in a way that is hard to know when the information doesn't come from my own brain. Like you um, memorize it. Which can be hard too when it does come from my own brain. But <laughs> yeah, it feels like it's easy to make a blunder and run into contradictions. Anyway, but I read this and I was like, oh, I really want to play this. I would run this for friends. I want to make this happen. Working on Taldore and and nether deep but really just working on all that had made me feel comfortable to run a game in exandria and be familiar with that which of course you don't have to be familiar with that lore but yeah it just got me really excited to play it too and that is always the biggest compliment for anything i think is people wanting to use it being excited about it right absolutely once they get their hands on it and it does it draws you right in i i love everything about the adventure that I've read so far. And I'm going to admit that I'm behind. I have not finished reading it. There's a lot but, to it. So I don't blame you on that. I'm not yeah, done yeah, either. Yeah. Cause there, there is definitely, there's a lot of fruit on this vine. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> it's, it's I'm a good yeah. halfway through and thoroughly enjoying it. So yeah. Oh man, we'll have to talk. We'll have to talk about it off the show, minus spoilers. So. <laughs> We're not, we don't want to throw out. Too, we don't want to throw out spoilers today, anyway. Yeah, I was going to say I'm going to take us off for a brief moment and just and we'll be, we'll definitely be back. We're not done with the call at this point. <laughs> but I'm going to ask probably one of the most tried and true interview questions. How did you get your start? I looking at your bio, I know that there you did a lot of things before coming to the professional side of this and preparing for it, but how did you get your start with gaming and with role playing and then how did you get hooked into the whole critical role and Watsi machine that family of content creators that have done, just done such great work? I started out I've always loved fantasy stories and grew up reading a lot of fantasy books and I didn't have 
peers who were gamers for a long time. I didn't play a lot of video games growing up. So at a certain point, I knew somebody who played D&D, a friend in high school, and I thought it sounded cool, but he never invited me to play. So I didn't have a chance to play. And then later on, just before college and in college, I met groups of people playing D&D and started playing. This was 3.5 and just instantly hooked, having a lot of fun, enjoying that there was something that combined so many of my interests in one place. I think a lot of D&D players and RPG players can probably relate to liking storytelling and some, at least for some of them, like storytelling and math and combat and emotional character beats and art or history or just so many different things that can come together. And yeah, having a good time with your friends at a pre-planned regular social activity. Can't beat that. I ended up going to college for software development and played a three-year D&D campaign with friends throughout that in one of the uh, computer science conference rooms. And... Excellent. Yeah. A couple of years later, I was working in tech and my partner at the time was doing D&D work. And I had done some background editing for him, was familiar with the familiar with like some of the design for the game and kind of exposed through osmosis. I ran, sorry, I ran a playtest for D&D Next when it was in its public playtest phase, which of course then became fifth edition. And at a certain point, I wanted to, actually, I joined Twitter and found the D&D <laughs> community there. And I was like, wow, people are so excited and engaged and talking about things and enjoying things. And Twitter can be a hellhole, but there's still a lot of good there. And having, seeing that community, seeing people who weren't just white men named Chris or James or Matt, as lovely as all of those folks are, there was definitely a click moment of these are actual specific people who are not white men, who are working on games, who are making games. And making tabletop games, making D&D. And my friend, the Opera Geek, had posted something on Twitter about, wouldn't it be cool to have a College of the Opera Bard? Uh, and I was like, that sounds really cool. I should write this up for, for fun. So I started writing it up and I was like, okay, this will be an opportunity for me to practice the, the style and formatting and all of that. And then she was like, you need to put this on DM skill. Because I was just going to like post it as an image to Twitter for free. And she was like, no, you need to post this on DM skill. This is your work. And so we released it on DM skilled and it went golden like the first week. No, wow. sooner. It went golden like the first like couple days. It was wild. It was like... I definitely just caught the curve of like DM skilled getting bigger, but not so saturated yet. And the responses were just incredible because there were people talking about it and commenting and telling me how excited they were to play these characters and could they have an opera bard NPC. And then I ended up working with the organization Take This, which supports mental health and gaming. Through that, met somebody from Wizards who was working on a project of theirs and got a test editing for Wizards <laughs> and was connected through someone I know to Critical Role when they were working on Explorer's Guide to Wildbound and just snowballed from there. So it is definitely, it's a lot of being in the right place at the right time and then having the opportunity to show that I had the skills. Then I was pretty unhappy with my office job and uh, nine to five and increasing commute to downtown Seattle. And I was like, well, what if I could do this full time? What if I could freelance? I know all these, I have all these friends who are freelancing. And definitely I like, whenever I say this, I always want to acknowledge that I had a lot of privilege that allowed me to do that because I had savings from tech. I'd paid off my student loans. I had healthcare from other sources for a while. And so I was able to make that leap and it went well, but it was so good for me and it's been a lot of fun, a lot of work, a lot of fun. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, that is an awesome story. I mean, and definitely just a chain of events of everything working out right for you. Like it was meant to be. That's great. 
And uh, I appreciate the fact that the talent and the skills are required. You can't just be in the right place at the right time. The world is filled with histories of people who were next to the event or near mm -hmm. the person who became great or did great things. And there are other people who have that same opportunity who didn't either possess those skills, train for those skills, or take those opportunities. That leap of faith is a lot. We've all in one way or another at different times made them. They're very scary. When you have to say, I'm not looking back and I'm going to step forward right now, that's a tough thing to go yeah. through. I know for me, whenever I have to make a big life-altering decision like that, I have to just sit on it for a couple weeks and before I am willing to admit to myself that I'm doing it, even when I know that I'm going to do it, even when I know that I'm like not going to go back, I just have to sit on it to be ready to make the decision that I've already made. So Hannah, I wanted to give you an opportunity uh, to talk about your other project, which you've mentioned, because I know that we're, we've really been diving into Call of the Nether Deep and on our team, and it just came out, so it's the big news. But Taldorai Reborn, talk to me about your favorite parts of working on that. It sounds, I can see, I saw your face light up when you've mentioned <laughs> it a couple of times now, so. Yeah, it's my baby. Absolutely immense amount of work and so worth it. One of my favorite parts of working on Teldore was getting to be an art director. I am not an illustrator. I, I'll say like for someone who is not an illustrator, I have a pretty decent eye for, for illustration and graphics and all of that, but I'm not an artist by training. We worked with so many wonderful critter artists and people who Critical Role had worked with before who were fans of the show, which was just really fun and fulfilling to work with people who were excited about this and who cared, but also incredibly helpful for folks who knew the lore and added details of their own. There is a portrait of the Dirolo family about 23 years after the end of the Vox Machina campaign. So I guess spoilers for the Vox Machina campaign. Um, <laughs> but it is Vex and Percy and all of their kids, which people have been very excited to receive information about. And the artist gave the youngest kid a little stuffed owl bear that is an Easter egg from a little owl bear that her aunt Valora owned when she was a kid. And it's just stuff like that that is the detail and the passion and the commitment that all of the artists brought was just so fun. Beyond the art, I loved getting to dive into the lore. One of the things we did was update the setting by 25, 26 years, because the original edition of the Taldori campaign setting, which was published in 2017, it was set after the Chroma Conclave attack. So after a certain event in the first campaign of Critical Role. But the second campaign of Critical Role takes place a couple decades later. And so we brought the timeline forward to match where the Critical Role stream was at the time. And that also allowed us to show what are all these characters of Vox Machina doing after their adventures. So, you know, we were able to draw, do portraits and write up little bits and the cast wrote these or gave us input or notes on what all of their characters were doing 25 years after the events of the show. I think one of my favorite things about working with Critical Role, you haven't asked that question yet, I'm sure we'll get to it, but <laughs> one of my favorite things about working with Critical Role is that everybody cares about what they're doing and takes their fun very seriously. So we have fun with the stories, the lore, the art, the little details, but we take it seriously. We want to make everything the best that it can be. And within the limitations of production, really just go all out. If something is fun and it can be done, we want to do it. If something is cool and it can be done, we're going to do it. I Sorry. love the fact that you're taking um – fun seriously I, I think there's not enough credence given to that why can't you why can't folks accept and i guess gamers we get it because we do it <laughs> um, but 
for any non-gamer too seriously yeah. it can happen yeah, but for yeah, any no. gamer depends yeah. on the gamer I mean, but yeah absolutely right, right. for any non-gamers that are listening to our podcast and listening to this wonderful interview because they're next to their gamer partner friend child or they're stuck with them on a train and they didn't have headphones whatever the case may be uh enjoy welcome we can have we can be serious about having fun and that's not only okay I think it should be celebrated, and I love the fact that's the way you describe the creators. I don't know what my thought was about the, the cast of Critical Role prior to watching the series on Amazon or really diving into this work. I really enjoyed Wild Mount, which I'll, ha- I'll probably have some questions about that as yeah. well. I held back from watching the live playing of the game and the actual play because I didn't know what I was going to get. I didn't know what to expect. And I personally held back on that because I didn't know if it was simply actors doing a thing or if it was gamers who happened to be actors doing their thing. And I didn't right. know which of those I was going to get. Time is pretty short. And I wasn't sure that's where I wanted to invest my time. Now that I have seen the Vox Machina show, I am convinced it is gamers who happen to be actors who not only do their thing, but they did their thing exceptionally well. While I kicked myself for not going into it earlier, I actually think the the Amazon show was a great leaping off point because a lot of things are condensed and encapsulated. So it's like, okay, now I know what's out there. Now I can know what I can go get. It has caused me to revisit the Wild Mount book. I have been using characters, creatures, and things from the Wild Mount book since it came out because I just like them better than the ones that were in the, the main game. And so I always had in my head, there's a design philosophy that's a lot closer to the way I play within this world. And yeah, I knew that. Out there. the first time I saw the Yeti that you have in the Wild Mount book, and Glenn, you remember the Yetis that you fought in my mm-hmm. Monday night campaign? They right, all came our, from the we running from in a blizzard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were they all came from the Wild Mount book because right. I really dug that like when i had a choice i had an abominable yeti that i wanted and i had i knew i was going to have a family of yetis and i had two kinds of yetis to pick from and i looked at one and i looked at the other and then i never looked back at the other (laughs) it was was really that easy um and i think there's a lot of content like that and i am getting those same strong feelings as i'm looking at the nether deep i just absolutely love the rivals i love it because it seems to it, it is very successful at doing something I tried and actually failed at years ago. I had a great party doing great things. And then I wanted to, and I was living in one place and a friend of mine had a party in another place. And we were like, we should make rivals. And then you and I as d- storytellers will communicate and they'll actually be going for the same goals. And we'll do that. I love the concept of rivals and other groups going for the same things. They don't necessarily have to be fighting at, with each other but they could just be going for the same goals and i've always i guess I've, that's the dragon i've been chasing for quite a while is how do we get make that work and you made it work yeah and that's something that that we did a lot in from our old larping days too so that that's the the other kind of uh the the, the cd underbelly of how we all became friends is that uh that we were all vampire the masquerade larpers way back when that was still like Cool, cool in the 90s, right? Yeah. But I, I will say, Hannah, that one of the awesome things is hearing you talk about how you came into the game in 3rd edition, it didn't dawn on me until you said that. But man, does Taldorai just like reek of the way that 3rd edition was written. Just the way that the narratives were written and the depth of kind of the storylines and everything like that. Not that there's not a lot of depth in 5th edition and everything like that, but the 3rd edition always- It's again, a little we're, more we're old school too. Yeah, there's a lot more crunch to it and, and just so much depth. Like any question that you could possibly think of has already been thought of and put in the book, and which is very easy to do when you got a 300-page book, right? You, can, you got a lot of details in, Oh, in no, there. now I'm like, is it too <laughs> rambling? We really try to, like, Matt comes, Matt is a more old-school gamer, and Matt comes yeah. from that era. The Critical Role cast were playing Pathfinder before they transitioned to 5th edition for their stream. And, yeah, so they were playing Pathfinder and yeah. essentially 3.5 in Taldore. So it comes from that, but also having worked with Wizards, we really try to get that streamlined concision that allows clarity and ease of use and find a balance. Yeah. The question that I wanted to go ahead and ask, though, is, is actually about some of your DMs Guild content. Again, like you and I haven't had the chance to go ahead and talk, but my background is also in music. And so one of the things that struck me on your DMs Guild is I saw the College of Opera Bard class that you've got in there. And so I was wondering, where did that come from? What is your connection? Was this just an idea that you had? Or do you have a connection to the opera world? Or where does that connection come from? 
yeah, so that was my friend Kelly Butler, who is the opera geek on Twitter. Shortly after I joined Twitter and the kind of D&D Twitter community, she had posted something saying it would be really cool if there were a College of the Opera Bard that had some of these kinds of powers. And I thought it'd be fun to write that up for her and design it and practice my design and D&D writing skills. And... So I did it and she said, you need to put this on DM Skilled and and like actually publish it. Uh, and then it did really well. It was just, it was a lot of fun to collaborate with her. It's a picture of her on the cover and one of her performances. And it was a, also, I'll say it was an ideal start in that it is a, you know, a subclass is a one page design. It is a one page thing. It let me create it, practice it play test it a little and do do the layout myself make it look pretty nice but it didn't take me i didn't get stuck and fall, fall off the wagon because i was doing something really big yeah right. it's not a lot of writing but some classes are tricky to get there's a nice balance there between making sure that they play test well and they balance well and everything like that while also to quote hamlet with Brevity is the soul of wit in this case, right? right. Sheepishly, we'll admit, or at least I'll admit for us, that uh, <laughs> with the book that we're currently writing, we did not include subclasses on purpose because on purpose. we did not feel that we were ready to try to tackle balancing them out properly. It's fine. To the thing, yeah. trying to create something that will be good and unique enough to stand mm -hmm. out as opposed to just being, yeah, we made this because we wanted to throw something at you. <laughs> yeah. So that's the other reason, too. We need some better inspiration on that topic before we hit the yeah. backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. We have lots of good backgrounds. And yeah, there's a there's a, there's at least one subclass, two subclasses I think that we've got ruminating. One I've, I've actually been playtesting for the better part of a year and a half. It's already gone through two rewrites because it just absolutely didn't work. And some of the work that has been in Witchlight, Strixhaven, and now this book that I'm seeing has caused me to figure. I think I finally found the magic sauce with the mechanics to make it work. So. Yeah, right. um, it's given you some ideas on how to construct because it. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, the vision has always been there and it's strong, but the mechanics weren't equaling the vision. They mm -hmm. either came up way short or way overpowered. There was no balance with how I was doing it, and I didn't think I had the tools to get it right. So while I've been playtesting the vision piece of it as an NPC, and occasionally that NPC steps into combat here, mm -hmm. there, and everywhere, it's got a it, it's got a little bit more to go before we're ready for it. And so I'm looking forward to that. But I have to ask the opposing question that you already answered for us, though we didn't ask it about what it's like to work for Critical Role. <laughs> Thank you very much. But now I have to ask, converse, not necessarily conversely, because it could be a very similar experience. What's it like to work for Wizards of the Coast? Oh, working with wizards is a lot of fun. It's a different flavor, but like Critical Role, they want to do something really good and polish it. And if they're going to do something, they want to do it right. And I love, that's me. So I love working with people like that. The, the stuff I edit ranges a lot in how polished it is and whether I'm doing more developmental editing and submitting a lot of questions and comments to the lead developer or whether I'm doing more copy editing and polishing for a more experienced freelance writer. And so every project is so different, but it is always amazing to work on something that I know is going to be really good and really polished and has those resources and the experience of a lead developer like Chris Perkins or Wes Schneider at that. So yeah, that's a lot of fun. I don't usually have contact with the individual writers, ooh, the freelancers who worked on it, but sometimes I know them or I know people who've worked on the project and can see their styles in that. And it's a indirect collaboration. Cool. In the process of, of doing the editing and at the various stages that you edit, and you pre-answered that question I was going to ask is, where do you fall in and at what point do you edit? And it sounds like you edit at all points of development, depending on the specific project. I guess my question is, at various stages, have you ever seen something that's perhaps going out to UA that you're like, okay, that's going to make it. That's pretty solid. And just know you don't have to give any specific examples because I recognize <laughs> there are almost guaranteed to be NDAs involved. Mm -hmm. in that. But, but a little peek behind the curtain. Are there things that you just know that's so solid that has to work that's going to be incredible and then you get to see it in print or or but conversely like 
that was a stretch. I'm not sure people are really going to go for that one. And then it doesn't pan out and doesn't make it out of UA. So UA specifically, Wizards often develops and edits the most mechanical stuff in-house. So the things like subclasses and stat blocks, they do almost entirely in-house because that's so finicky and I'm sure there's so much iteration and that's like the Jeremy Crawford show. They don't really need a copy editor who's going to come in and do that most of the time. I did get to look at a lot of that stuff for Witchlight when I was editing on Witchlight. And it's the same thing in terms of reading something and being excited and saying, I want to use this. I want to play this. Actually, Theros as well. I was reading the, the the piety and supernatural gifts and backgrounds for Theros. And you can be like a Nyxborn who in some way comes from or was created in a way connected with Nyx, this you know, realm of stars and magic and divinity. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I want to play this. And then I read the next background. I'm like, wait, that's cool. I want to play this. Theros was a plethora of... I can't yeah. pick which one I want the most. Like I, I still, I have a catalog of character ideas that basically come from Theros that I'm waiting for yeah. the opportunity to bring out. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. class warfare is giving me our class warfare episodes give me the opportunity to exercise some of those issues. I've got a <laughs> Leonid coming real soon in one of our uh, future episodes. That's just he's going to be awesome. Um, yes, there's stuff like that where. I read it and I'm like, I want to use this. This is really cool. And there's stuff in adventures where I'm like, okay, people are experiencing this differently, but I could really see my groups enjoying this. I would really enjoy this as a player. And you also asked, is there stuff that seems like it's not going to make it? Usually, and having worked on several projects and developed relationships with leads, that's, and my job being to edit, whether it's copy editing or developmental editing or somewhere in that nebulous realm in between, it is more or less my job to comment and say, hey, I think this is an issue. Um, and bless the leads. They are always, they want to make, they want to make the book good. And so they are always happy to hear that. And whether or not they end up changing something or they have a different take on it, I do chime in and I say, Hey, I think most players are going to do this instead, or this is going to make the group unhappy because this, or, Hey, this contradicts this other thing. And that, that is literally my job. You need a stamp that just says weak sauce. Bonk. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's something Chris Perkins would say. Hey there, travelers. Do you want early access to all of our episodes? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? You can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait, there's more. For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level, plus Adventurer level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, available on DM's Guild. We love doing this show for y'all, and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, so join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. Before I ask my question, I want to go ahead and, and drill into this first. Did you work on the Strixhaven book? I did not. I don't not. have a copy of Strixhaven. You did not. Yeah, okay, well, I, I did not. Ask. It's very cool. Yeah. I just did a more thorough look through it, but yeah, I did not. Okay, no, because the question really, I was really going to ask you stuff in it. It's so yeah, sad. No, no, yeah, yeah, I have no. to like, they'll send me a couple sometimes, and they'll <laughs> sign me to one, and I'm like, I can't do yeah. three projects at once. I have to No, pick. no. So. The memes, I see them all the time. They say, do all the things. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Bad idea as an editor. Bad idea. Because <laughs> the question I was going to ask is because when the Mages of Strixhaven UA came out, and they got great, like got changed, like massively. Yeah. Whole cloth. Whole cloth. Yeah. You know, I, I, was, I was going to ask if you could... Again, peer behind the curtain a little bit and tell us what happened there because we were like bummed that happened. But if you didn't work on the book, that's not going to mean you're not going to be able to say. It. I think we have so, half yeah. a, we have half an episode of speculation about. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be as a freelancer, and I'm not involved with any of that design yeah. anyway. I yeah. thought they were really cool the way they were flexible, but maybe they ended up not fitting in the design paradigm, or people didn't like them. I know a lot of people feel very strongly about class identity hmm. and things not treading on the toes of other classes identity like mm -hmm. if 
someone other than a rogue got a feature like sneak attack, it'd be like, no, you're taking that away from the rogue. Yeah. Um, you see that with sorcerers a lot too. Like anytime that anybody yeah. gets anything remotely app- apparent to meta magic, yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You want each class to feel cool and unique. On the other hand, you want every character option to be cool and some flexibility <laughs> is good. So it's a yeah, hard question. Yeah. And, That's where um, multi-classing came from. And now they've changed that up so you don't have to as much anymore with the way that they've designed subclasses. But by the time you look at the existing subclasses and you're looking at the ones that cross between a fighter and a mage, mm-hmm. we're already doing it. So yeah, right. but taking it the next step where multiple classes would have the same subclass, we're getting way far. We're talking about Strixhaven at this point though, aren't we? Josh, That's fine. Yeah. No, Josh, I think you and I might be like on the same page here that yeah. As software designer, in terms of architecture, that was just so impressive. That was so <laughs> really, cool. The way that it was structured was so yeah. elegant. Like there's this, this concept of elegance in software design that it's like, yeah. you, know, you know when it's right. And I think, Luanika, to your question, when you're talking about how has anything been passed through the UA or anything that you just know is good enough, like it had that special sauce. I will stand by the fact that I think the issue was because subclasses don't consistently cross all character classes all 13 character classes because they don't get their subclass features at the same time mm-hmm. that's why that doesn't work like i loved the concept but it would need to have everybody kind of level out everybody gets their subclass features at the same time and yep. then that makes a lot more sense and feels mu- more natural the corollary to that is that i mentioned class identity and some classes have a much stronger class identity, like rogues, don't get very many subclass features, or their subclass features aren't that powerful. So they totally, like subclasses vary by how much you get from your subclass. And how much you get from the class itself. Exactly. Because rogue gets a lot. Rogue gets a lot from the class, so they get little from the subclass, and that won't match well with other things. Versus things like like Paladin or like Warlock, which have very rich, detailed subclasses and Mm -hmm. get really, like, Paladins still have like their core Paladin abilities, but the flavors that they get throughout their subclasses are so varied and so strong. And Warlock is such a unique, like two-axis class where you have the Pact choice and the Patron choice. Mm-hmm. And I wish you could do more with the gotta write something that's more Pacts. Does that already exist on DM Skill? Like we got Pact to the Chain, Pact to the Tome, Pact to the Blade. There's got to be something that's more because I, I, I want not- to explore that access. Yeah, I have not seen more Pacts, but in my head. I haven't thought of many more either. So it's got some, like, I want there to be more, mm, but I can't but even what conceive of what that next one well, would be. We, we may have laid the, gla- the groundwork about a new pact in the book that's coming out in oh, a week or so. so that's, something you know, to consider uh, for There's some ideas in there. Just because I haven't played one yet. I've had Warlock NPCs. And I've read the yeah. class and I've gone through the subclasses. and But I haven't played one. I haven't really dove into it. It's been yeah. able to really wrap But he has played it. an amazing patron for at least the one Warlock he had in his <laughs> so, Like, <laughs> I can tell you, that was, that was a lot of fun. That's Um, awesome. This is a question about some of the folks that you've worked with. And I'm going to fanboy and geek out a little bit because, like, just your resume is littered with amazing people that you've worked with. However, it is very clear to me, having read your resume and then read the books that you've worked on and seeing your influence on things, that the question isn't who are the greats that you've worked with. It's more what's it like when these people get to work with you as a pillar in in what we do in this game. So it's obviously you've worked with the cast of Critical Role. I MC, and I never get this acronym, but Matt Colville's group. Yeah, yeah, MCVM. yeah. Actually, um, if we circle back around, I just got a subclass for them that's in development to work it with them is great. Like I'm exceptionally, because I got their... Uh, their their strongholds book which is amazing because i am an old birthrights fan like glenn who we Mm. talked about it in our last episode and i that just felt so true to that core of i'm building this one of the players in my game i'm using the major domo idea and i've been utilizing a lot of the ideas out of that book and it's one of these great toolkits that i have now where if a player is interested in that, I now have something for them to do. I've got rules. It keeps it balanced. It keeps it fitting within this core game that I'm playing. That's amazing. But what's it like working with some of these folks? Do you have any like cool stories that are just fun? Little This is a neat thing that does that I think is a lot of fun that people would enjoy to know. Yeah, let's see. First of all, speaking of MCDM and folks I work with and love to work with, you guys, have you guys had James Idracasso on yet? 
We have not had James Hendrick. We have not. We are doing, so after, we haven't even announced this yet, spoiler alert, but after Critical Role Month, we're doing an Eberron Month. And we, I am, I'm trying to figure out how to go ahead and uh, bring some people in here. And James Picasso is one of the names on the, so if you can hook us up, Uh, that'd be fabulous. Also, Laura, Laura, I could, I could hook, James actually worked on Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount. And Laura Hirsbrunner is a great friend and big editor involved in Eberron. What defines the kind of collaboration that I really enjoy and really make something good is a combination of what you guys said about feedback is good, input is good, we thrive on feedback and opinions. And so when I'm able to just give my opinion to somebody and they're able to take it and build on it and agree with it or disagree with it or whatever. And there's no no ego involved in that. Or a health a healthy amount, but no no attachment to that. Only the attachment of we want this to be cool and I think this idea is cool, but if you persuade me otherwise, then let's make it cooler. Sell me on it. Yeah, exactly. So something that characterizes working with folks like Bat Mercer and James Indracasso is that they are so amazingly open to that kind of collaboration. And, and I mean, it's, it's collaborative storytelling in a way at its finest. It's bouncing things back and forth off of each other and saying, yeah, this is cool. This looks really fun. How can we fine tune this? Oh, you mentioned that inspires this other thing. So I think I can say Matt shot over the College of Tragedy Bard for inclusion in Taldori Reborn. Uh, We ended up with nine subclasses in that book, which was a lot. They're all wonderful and I want to play them all. So the College of Tragedy Bard was actually dreamed up partly through a joke Liam made on stream in one of the campaigns. And Matt, of course, being Matt, went ahead and wrote it. And so he sent it over to us and was like, hey, is this good? Do we... Is, is this something we want to include? This is silly, but do we like it? Do we want to include it? And I read over it and I was like, yes, this is really cool. <laughs> I love the flavor. I love the, where the mechanics are going. Let's play test it and polish it and absolutely include it. And I was like, it's given me an idea for a magic item we can include. <laughs> so I wrote a magic item because that inspired me and got to put it in the book. And so it's just stuff like that where that is the best part of creation and gaming and storytelling of the moments of collaboration and kind of day-to-day inspiration. Was the magic item that was inspired by the College of Tragedy, was it the the doublet of Dramatic Demise? Yes. Yes, Yes, of course. I figured it must have been. Okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, seemed, it seemed too perfect. I was like, ah, it's got to be that. It's got to be that one. Like, yeah, got, you got to have the I got Taldori up here on my I'm like, yeah, it's got to be that one. I want to go ahead and let you talk about something else that you've been working on too. So I see in your bio that you've been working with Arcadia. What can you talk about? What can you say about Arcadia for folks that may not be familiar? Yeah. So Arcadia is a fifth edition digital magazine for folks who are familiar with the old dungeon magazine, mm. a little bit carrying on the tradition of that. Matt Coville, James Intracasso, and the MCDM company publish this magazine monthly, and it has three to four articles with a bunch of art, a bunch of cool stuff by different designers in the community all extensively developed and playtested and edited for people to use in their games. So there's stuff like short adventures, subclasses, magic items, rules for aerial combat, rules for new companions and familiars, rules for mounted combat, elemental stat blocks, new kinds of elemental stat blocks, and what happens when some of those elements mix. Lots of fun stuff that people can drop into their games or build upon. So I've been one of the editors. Actually, when I when they announced that, I was like, man, that's such a cool project. This sounds so good. They've got my pal James Intracasso running the show on that. I feel like this is going to be something really big and really good in the D&D community. Sure would be cool to be involved with that. And then later on, I got the email saying, hey, we want you to edit for this. And I was like, yes, I get (laughs) to work on it. (laughs) 
Yeah. That um, must always be nice when the synergy kind of works out that way, where it's like, <laughs> I really want this thing. And then they just say, hey, do you want to work on this thing? Because you sure? I'm at, maybe. Okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Play it cool. Fit right? it into yeah. my schedule. You might have to twist my arm. Okay. I'm in. So, yeah, that's great fun. And I've written a couple. I've written one article that was published in Arcadia 7 about a bunch of magic items and spells for druids and rangers and nature-focused characters, because first time I played a druid, I was like, wow, I love playing a druid, and we're going through this dungeon, and everyone else is getting cool magic items, and there aren't any magic items for me, because I just transform into a wolf, and, but I want to have cool magic items. And that was like, oh god, I don't know, that was like four years ago or something, so I'd been yeah. brewing on this for a while, and I got to write that for Arcadia, and it was great fun. And one of the cool things about working for MCDM is Matt Kova likes to be able to talk about stuff. So we're allowed to talk about whatever stuff, whatever, basically. And I can say that later this year, I will be releasing a martial subclass for a fighter that uses shields in combat and some associated equipment and magic items to deliver on some of that fun. Perfect. Yeah, initial feedback has been really good, so I'm I'm excited about it. After handling some of those like subclass, oh god, how do I convey this? And how do I make it not too powerful, but good, but exciting, but yeah. Circling back to earlier parts of the conversation, I am told that there's a head of Vecna story that you wanted to talk about. Oh boy, this is probably a ramble, but (laughs) I absolutely want to tell you guys about this if you haven't heard it. So there are a couple of old D&D legends based in of the kind of internet legends where somebody, where it happened in ye olde days and before, in the 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 proto-meme, it was like (laughs) developed and passed around and became the thing of legend. Anyway- So the head of Vecna (laughs) was was a case where a DM decided to run two groups of players on different nights and have them be rivals and their campaigns would impact uh, one another. So one group got in their head, well, there are these artifacts, the hand and eye of Vecna, that are extremely powerful, dangerous artifacts that require a user to cut off their own hand and replace it with the hand of Vecna to use it. So they decided to spread a rumor in the campaign world to bait the other group about the head of Vecna, this incredibly powerful, rare magic item with the grant the user legendary abilities. And the other group took the bait and searched out the head of Vecna and then proceeded to argue about who should chop off their own head and replace it with the head effect. Awesome. And the barbarian did it. And yeah, I think the barbarian cut off his own head and someone else put the head on him and then nothing happened. They were like, well, he didn't do it. So another one of them did it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. And and absolutely just like fell hook line sinker and cranium for for That's this hysterical. this myth that the other group had made up. So yeah, I just <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's the kind of stuff we were doing our LARP days all the time. That's yeah. <laughs> absolutely. You spread a rumor uh, to go ahead and see if you can just mess up your rivals more than anything else. That's, that's I, and I, then I sit could, back and laugh. That is actually that's chapter one. That's how we got it done back then. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> if you want to win, give them something else to go after. <laughs> <laughs> and even better if they'll chop off their own heads. Like, exactly right. right. Yeah. That's a twist on it I've never heard, but that is amazing. That's amazing. The party TPK'd themselves. There was nothing I could do. I think the other group then, the group that made up the rumor must have like made a fake head and planted it somewhere. And the GM was just like arbitrating this. Wow. (laughs) Hmm. I have ideas now. Taking us away from these books and kind of to the table, because that's what we're talking about now with the shenanigans that that go down between parties and the party never goes exactly how you plan it. Although... Apparently, it did for that party. They got the other party chopping each other. He can't um, write this stuff. <laughs> but I noticed when I was doing my due diligence research and looking up Hannah Rose on all of the interwebs before meeting with you this evening that you are listed in D&D in a Castle this year. Oh, yeah. So and, uh, I am. For anybody out there who doesn't know what D&D in a Castle is, it's literally a D&D vacation 
in a castle in England where you play in a game for three days and eight hour sessions with a professional DM running like an amazing story. There, that's my okay, intro. that's amazing. First of all, but yeah. Um it's my dream vacation. Right. <laughs> that was definitely one of those things where you get the email and you're like, oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> you sure you want me? But okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I note that there are two event sessions that you are available for because you're running a table. Yeah, this September. I'm delayed by pandemic, but fingers crossed that it is feeling safe to travel and and run some games in a castle in England. It's going to be awesome. I'm really excited. How did you get? How did you get involved in that? How did you get invited to come run a table at D and D in a castle? James Intracasso has done some D and D in a castle stuff, and he and I have been colleagues for a long time. And he recommended me, and. Apparently, they wanted me to come run games, say, okay. So yeah, I got recommendations and word of mouth is just everything in this industry, as in many, but there's so much supporting other people and colleagues and people who do really good work is so important and so gratifying. There are folks that I've just seen, artists I worked with on Taldori that I've just seen soar and that's wonderful. And I've been the beneficiary of that, like with D&D in a castle. Yeah, I'm very excited. I like to tailor things very much to my players. So it's hard to plan too much until I know who my players are going to be and get connected with them. Right. And can I'm not going to write a whole, the whole three-day campaign until I... I can't really plot too much before I know what my players are interested in. How and, much notice will you get on that? We'll see. I think I'm supposed to get a while, but also I'm supposed to provide the players with some things to start so I can tell them what we're doing and what kind of characters to make. And I've been assured that if they want to play with me, then they'll be down for that, that they just want the experience. But I want to pull it off of your stuff. So we'll find some kind of happy medium. I think I should have at least a month or two to prepare. And You're going to run an original story? Oh, yeah. I might actually, some folks, some colleagues, and I will be there at the same time. So sometimes you can have things intersect or run little people run one shots and stuff like that. But yeah, no, absolutely something original can possibly pull from some published adventures or surely pull from a lot of published content. But but no, something just for them. That's amazing. That's, that's pretty awesome. One of the things I noticed when looking at that page that I really enjoyed with all the professional DMs was the fact that there was a section that was like players who enjoy themselves at my tables typically. And then there's just a mm -hmm. group, which is basically, this is the type of game I run. And, and so you could really, as a player say, as gamers, we all need to know what we like and who we like. The three of us like to call ourselves storytellers. We don't prefer the term dungeon master or game master. There's all kinds of debate in schools of thought on that. I, I know our, colleague that we've never talked to over at dungeon craft he hates the term storyteller and i love his content i absolutely disagree with him on that point and i'm okay with that he gave me a james bond episode once so that's cool but we know the kind of role players we know the kind of storytellers we are we know the kinds of games we run and even though we are of like mind to a certain extent we the three of us run very different games i am very deep into the deep interwoven political wranglings and plots and things like that that's my bag i think i do it quite well my players seem to enjoy that i like resource management and building of communities and building up of game worlds i like players to become uh town guards mayors heroes of the people uh, and, and do all of these types of things glenn is great with the as a player at his table for many years he is amazing at the lore and the legend of heroes and what they're able to do and how they impact the world oh, less from a, i'm building up this or that but more from these other ways so Having looking at an event like that and seeing this, these are the kinds of things that you like the way that that page for each storyteller is done. Amazing. It's something to take note of for anybody doing conventions, convention games, 
getting people to come to the table. It's something that I think I will start doing in my various convention going because I, I mean, want to do that. We, the three of us, periodically run games at the same convention. So perhaps we should come up with our own little DM blurbs. To Definitely yeah. helpful, especially because I feel like a lot of people, myself included, have had some pretty experiences with convention games. Yeah. Pretty good ones, too, but it's definitely a commitment. How could you not? Right. So it's definitely a commitment to say, okay, I'm going to spend four hours of my time at this con sitting down for a game that I hope is going to be fun. The strangers that I've never met. Yeah. And hope that nobody's an asshat. And okay, is this a nice group of white men? Sure hope so. <laughs> right. <laughs> With all your time gaming and all your, what is your absolute favorite player character you've ever played? Ooh. Why and how long did you play that character? And a little bit about them, of course. Yeah. I know this is a hard question, but I this love the way your face question. lit up You're when like I asked it. You're literally asking me to choose between no. my children or parts of myself or... <laughs> Combination thereof. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who's... I don't know. Is it weird if I say I feel like my one favorite singular player character hasn't happened yet? Like, it's going to be... There, I have several characters that I've played and I have really deep, you know, ties to, discovered, detailed amazing stories with, discovered things about myself. But like the singular one, maybe that's the next game. I uh, like that answer. And they're really also different. Answer, yeah. It's hard to compare, yeah. of course. But I like yeah. playing a lot of really different characters. And the only class I haven't played yet is Artificer. And that's because I don't really drive with any of the subclasses. But I like playing lots of different characters. So how can I pick between my chronergy tiefling nerd wizard and my goblin gardener yeah yeah that i love that by the way <laughs> i love them both so much um, um yeah so maybe the next player character that'll be mm. the one. Oh, well, you That's definitely a- passed your dodge check yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's a road, but no, I actually like that answer a lot. Whenever it was an I get, awesome answer. Yeah. Whenever I'm asked questions, what's your favorite? Like, it's what's your favorite song? I'm like, I can give you a favorite-ish. I can give you top five in every genre. Right. But I can't really right. pick my favorite overall. I For characters, I've got four. That's just me. Yeah. I'm, I and probably yet have you more ask than that. this question. Depends on the situation. <laughs> oh, because I'm evil that's <laughs> that was a moment of true self-realization we went kind of proud yeah, we should, like, i feel like we should all like hug or something hannah I'll, I'll give you the easy out here because it's been fabulous having you on the show today this has been fantastic talking to you can you please let our listeners know where they can find you and where they can find the innumerable things that you have done for our community you can find me on the interwebs at Wild Rosemage on Twitter and Instagram and has a link to my portfolio page. And you can shout at me there and or shout into the void. And I will for sure be talking about and discussing and posting pictures of recent and upcoming projects. You can find all the Critical Role uh, stuff I worked on the Critical Role shop, although Taldor Reborn is currently sold out everywhere because it was such a massive success. So <laughs> yeah, that may be available in print sometime again in the future. Once we can get paper again, right? Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Once- now, is, is Taldori available uh, digitally at all? Not yet. Right, yeah. Okay. Um, it is a possibility for the future, but it is not available solely digitally. If you buy the print book, it's bundled with a PDF. Okay. Uh, but currently, I think you can't buy the print book. So yeah, I'm so glad it was so in demand, but yeah. I hope that people will be able to get it again soon. I <laughs> didn't say it earlier, but I would be remiss if we didn't shout out to one of our patrons, Jen, who recently right. had her copy of Taldori signed by one of, I guess, guest, guest cast members role at a local convention here in Connecticut. Oh. And that was just about two, three weeks right. ago. She was even on the news while she's talking to yeah. him. While she was talking here. to him, they're, yeah. they're doing a thing uh, at the convention and they show her in line talking with somebody. Yeah. She is also one of yeah. Critical Role's biggest supporters within our yeah own personal TTJ community. She's a self-proclaimed critter, yes. Like from the moment we started doing this, she's, have you watched Critical Role yet? It's actually (laughs) the pre-conversation to our, my Monday night game that I run is usually about Critical Role. 
So yeah. she, it, she it was it was Jen that very much kept asking us over and over again to do critical role stuff. I was like, okay, we'll do an entire month of critical role stuff for you, <laughs> Patreon subscriber Jen. Um, I I will say that I am I was already enthused about uh, Journey Through the Radiant Citadel when it was announced, and knowing that you are involved with that project and seeing what we have seen from Call of the Nether Deep and from from Tal'Dorei and from Wildmount and everything, I am even more enthused about this book. So oh. it's really good, isn't it? It's so good, but it I really good. it was just. Absolutely yeah. my honor to participate in that in oh, awesome. a, any small way. It is such a fabulous team. And yeah. Ajit George, um, the co-lead, is such a incredible, brilliant, dedicated, absolutely the epitome of be the change you want to see in the world and mm-hmm. the gaming community. And it's been an honor and a pleasure to get to know him. And yeah, I can't speak highly enough of him and cool. the work that he and Wes have done on this book. And it's so, it's so good. I'm so, was, it's absolutely the thing where I'm like, yes, somebody please run these for me. I want to play in all of these locations. Yeah. I want to play through these adventures. I want it. Yeah, we started our actual play because of the Candlekeep mysteries and because of the quality of those stories. That was very much the birth of our actual play campaign. And to see a book that is, uh, it seems like it's somewhat in that model, but in a, in a different way with the ep- with episodic adventures and everything like that. I was very enthused and just the writers that you involved and everything like that. So I'm stoked. I'm I'm really stoked for that book. And so I'm really glad uh, that you say it's good because <laughs> so it's, it's going to be a Excellent. lot of fun. I can't wait. Awesome. I can't wait to hold it. Ah, awesome. Hannah, thank you very much for joining us here uh, on Tabletop Journeys uh, for Critical Role Month. This uh, this has been a fantastic time. I really uh, was glad we had a chance to go ahead and and sit down and talk to you. And as as we said, next week, uh, we will be coming back with our review deep dive into the Call of the Netherdeep book. We can't guarantee that one's going to be as spoiler-free as this episode was, but we're going to try not to go ahead and reveal everything. But it's hard to talk about- We won't give you all of it. Yeah, but it, it's also For hard DMs to talk about that book perhaps. without getting too deep into it. <laughs> so we'll, we'll be gentle, we promise. Yeah, But Hannah, awesome time. Thank you so very much for coming on with Thank us Thank you tonight. so much yes. for having me. Absolutely wonderful to talk to the three of you. Thank you so much. And gentlemen, we will talk again next time. And everybody out there listening, hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, more Critical Role content coming for the rest of the month. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Have a good night. Peace. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.